you're always one decision away from a totally different life. Hello. So what are you thinking? You're listening to the Healthy Mind, Healthy Self Show. I'm your host, Martha Alvarez, psychotherapist and life coach. And this is a place for you to explore your thoughts, emotions, and behaviors so that you can make more mindful choices, achieve those things that you so desire. So tune in and enjoy. Hey there, welcome to today's show. Today I'm talking about anxiety and ADHD, in particular, how it shows up in relationships and how you can identify it and what can you do about it. But I got to preface by saying that nothing that I am saying is meant to treat or diagnose this condition or any other condition, as a matter of fact. And if you think you have something going on, please go seek professional help from your physician, psychologist, mental health provider, or whoever is the appropriate person that can help you figure it out. It's more of an informational session that I'm offering for you today, trying to help you kind of gain awareness and insight as to what may be happening with you or someone that you deeply care about. So let's dive in. I think most of you are familiar with anxiety, what it feels like in your body, what it sounds like in your mind and definitely how it could interfere in your functioning. And, you know, as with everything, especially in mental health, I think that it's important to note that much of this is normal or typical, perhaps we can call it, meaning the intensity and the range is what's going to make it become a diagnosable problem. So, that's the case with anxiety. Healthy anxiety is there for a reason and it actually helps us do things. It motivates us to take action and it can be uh, protective. But when you go to the range of it being intense and interfering with your functioning and showing up very often, then it becomes a problem. So there's nothing good or bad in this whole conversation I'm having. It's just what it is. And it's up to you to figure out if it's interfering and causing distress in your world or not. So we start off with anxiety, which is uh, definitely a feeling in your body, but it's also in your thoughts, in your head. And it does so by showing up as extreme worrying and thinking and ruminating, which is just thinking over and over again. It shows up up as irritability and apprehension and dread and maybe, you know, hard time making decisions, you're indecisive, or um, perhaps you have a hard time managing uncertainty or concentrating, or you have sleep problems, insomnia, you have physical symptoms, muscle tension, twitching, you know, nausea, stomach problems, headaches, fatigue, sweating, you're easily startled, you twitch all the time. It could show up in many ways. Okay. And like I said, it's to the degree. That's what we're talking about. But here's the thing. ADHD also can cause a bunch of those same symptoms that I just talked to you about. So it's really hard to differentiate what is going on. And we know that all emotions cause changes in your thoughts, behaviors, and your physiological state, as well as in your feelings. All emotions do that. 
It's just when they get in your way and they don't allow you to function the way that, you know, you're meant to function at your highest and best self. So anxiety is an emotion, which means it's a subjective state of being, and it has a range from low, which is normal adaptive to high, which is pathological and maladaptive. Anxiety often shows up with ADHD, but you could have ADHD and not have anxiety and vice versa. The same thing between anxiety and depression. The same thing between ADHD and behavior problems. We call these comorbidities and what it's our job as a healthcare professional to do is to rule out certain disorders and what we call that is differential diagnosing. And again, you need to go to somebody that does that for a living in order to figure that out. Don't try to do it yourself. There's no objective physiological assessment for ADHD means it does not show up in a blood test. There's definitely brain imaging that cannot diagnose ADHD. Same thing for anxiety. Anxiety, you know, I mean, you can have high cortisol, for example, but that in itself does not give you a diagnosis of anxiety. And ADHD is not an anxiety disorder. For those of you that don't know what ADHD is, it's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. The way that we use the term could be ADD, that's removing the hyperactivity part. And it could be show up also as combined, both hyperactivity and inattentive. We're talking about a neurobiological condition that affects you through the whole lifespan, and it tends to be inherited. You can have poor attention, distractibility, you can have physical restlessness, hyperactivity, impulsivity, procrastination. Maybe you have a hard time starting tasks, completing tasks, you forget things a lot. You have poor organizational planning skills, time management is a problem, you forget stuff all the time. And again, this is something that is not curable, but is definitely manageable. We're learning more and more about this through the years. Actually, there's a big debate within the medical community of whether or not it even really exists. A few years ago, actually, there was, you know, still doctors saying that it's not real. It doesn't exist. Okay. Much less, we don't really know exactly why it's happening and everything that it entails. But again, there's no single medical, physiological, or genetic test to tell you whether you have this. So basically you have to go to someone that specializes that knows about this and they're going to do checklists and rating scales and take detailed history and maybe talk to your family members. They're going to do observations and then they're going to come up with a diagnosis. Easier to diagnose in kids than in adults. So I talked to a lot of families, a lot of adults that you know, they didn't even think about whether or not ADHD was part of the equation. They just assumed they were a nervous individual, that they always had stress and anxiety. And it comes out to be that it's been unmanaged ADHD and not anxiety. And why that matters in the treatment is because often when, you know, when you have either ADHD or anxiety and you're towards the maladaptive part, you're going to require medication. And I realize there's a lot of, of shame and stigma sometimes associated with medication. And a lot of people, their, their first response to that is, no, 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 I don't want to take meds. Some people, yes, but the majority of people are like, no, I don't want to take meds. What else can you do? And we're going to talk about that. But I think it's important 
for me to tell you that if you need medication to manage these things, because they are going to get away, they are going to continuously interfere in your functioning through your lifespan, you should really consider it. Most of these meds are safe. And a lot of it has to do with how you report back to your physician on the side effects, if any, or the symptoms that you're having so that they can make tweaks to your medicine. We have a lot of options available when it comes to medicine for managing anxiety and ADHD. But medicine alone is not going to take care of the whole problem. You're going to have to do other things. You're going to have to learn other ways to manage it. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but I think that it's important for you to first understand when I talk about medicine and I'm not a psychiatrist, but I know a little bit about that is um, what we're talking about. I think that it's also important for you to know that, you know, anxiety stemming from your flight or fight response, which comes from your amygdala, which is part of your brain. And so when we manage that, you know, your brain is made up from a bunch of, um, neurotransmitters that are kind of like sending information from one to another. And when it comes to ADHD, these drugs, these stimulants or non-stimulants, what they're doing is they're working on your serotonin and your norepinephrine, two of them, they, they actually can work on others, that affect your mood, your attention span, your sleep, and so forth. And when we're talking about anxiety, we're talking often about benzos, benzodiazepines, which are anti-anxiety agents that actually also work in your brain to help you calm down. There's also beta blockers that are sometimes used in short-term therapy when people uh, with anxiety don't benefit or, you know, it would be worse to give them a benzo. Anyways, in addition to that, there's antidepressants such as SSRIs, SNRIs, which are basically selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors that are used for anxiety and in depression. Things like Lexapro, Celexa, Cymbalta, Effexor, there's others, but those work again, because we're, we're targeting the neurotransmitters in your brain. So these are all brain conditions that are not perfectly balanced and the meds help you balance those conditions. So definitely I suggest you um, seek medical professional, preferably a psychiatrist. It doesn't mean that when you go to a psychiatrist, it doesn't mean you're crazy. I mean, it's just a person, it's the doctor that has specialized training in the brain, the same as neurology. So I think that stigma is one of those things that you got to get over when we're having these conversations in order to gain the best treatment. Okay. General practitioner, some of them may be able to treat and diagnose very well, but the majority just don't have the training in medical school to be able to uh, do this differential diagnosing and prescribe the right medicine. But medicine is not the only way to treat some of these symptoms. One of the most important ways is starting off by creating awareness of your symptoms and how they show up and what triggers them, how your body is feeling, what your mind is thinking, what you're doing or not doing. So increasing the awareness of yourself is actually a strategy in managing ADHD and anxiety. And it's important because when you're in a relationship or maybe if you have kids, it's 
easier sometimes for the other person to notice these symptoms and bring them to your attention than it is for you to notice your own symptoms. If you're being irritable, if you're being tense, if you're snapping, if you're forgetful or lazy or not starting or not completing or, you know, whatever the symptom is, often other people see it first. So it's really important for you to start creating awareness on your body. And one of the ways to do that is just to stop, take a breath, and check in with yourself. Check in with yourself physically, your physical state of being, and kind of scan your body and see where you're holding on to tension. Or check in if there's a physical difference in temperature throughout your body, or if you have any tingling or numbness or sweating, or what's going on with your body. Then the second layer of awareness is your thoughts. Are you having negative thoughts? Are you ruminating? Are you thinking things over and over and over again? Are you seeing things in an all good, all bad manner? Are you scared? What's going on with your thinking? So that's the awareness piece. Then comes the relaxation technique because we have to bring our body back into a calm state, which usually it is not in if we're suffering from anxiety or ADHD. We do this again through your breath because your breath is going to interrupt the system. Your physiological system is going to help it get back to a baseline calm place so that you're not in fight or flight, that you're not agitated. So taking some clearing deep breaths helps that. Also mindfulness, focusing on the here and now, doing progressive relaxation, which has to do with scanning your muscles one by one, starting with your feet all the way up to your head. And by visualizing, those are some ways to use relaxation techniques. I'll make other episodes on this show about each one of those individualized, but just know that's part of the strategies used to deal with anxiety and ADHD. And then I want to talk to you about exercise because exercise is very effective for anxiety and for ADHD, for everything, actually. It's part of staying healthy mentally and physically. But I want to tell you that, you know, exercise alone isn't going to cut it when you're suffering, especially if you're moderate to severe in anxiety and ADHD but is definitely going to help make it better and minimize it and help it not escalate and get out of control. We're talking about cardio. We're talking about going outside, connecting with nature if possible. And we want you to exercise at least 30 to 45 minutes every day if possible, if not certainly four to five days a week for moderate to more intense exercise that changes the neurochemistry in your body. It will help you feel better. Another coping strategy that we got to look at is cognitive behavioral therapy, which actually helps you break the cycle of failure and anxiety and blame. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy explores how you think and thus how, because of your thinking, you're behaving and it helps you interrupt the process. It helps you come up with time management and organizational skills. It helps you reframe, meaning when you're thinking of something, you ask yourself, what else can that mean? How likely is that to happen? And it kind of helps you shift your thinking. 
It also helps you with your view of yourself, your self-esteem. It is certainly not the only method in psychotherapy that you can use, but I feel that it is the one that helps the most. So having someone guide you in cognitive restructuring by helping you explore these things and and how you change your thinking is super important and part of the treatment of ADHD and anxiety. And overall, there's exercise, I said, as part of lifestyle, but lifestyle also includes the food you eat, how much water you're drinking, how you're sleeping, which is definitely one of the things that is always affected when it comes to ADHD and and anxiety. It has to do with the people that you're surrounding yourself with, how you're communicating with them, how you're showing up. Uh, Lifestyle has to do with your work, with your school, with your family. All of it matters. And when you start making little shifts in all of these areas, life becomes easier. But you have to be in tune. You have to be able to know that the problem is existing and willing to make these changes. You know, I started off the show by telling you how ADHD and anxiety affects relationships. And as a family therapist, I have to tell you that it is the number one reason that I often see as the disruptor. Anxiety makes you do things that normally you would not do. Often some of those things may have, you know, alcohol, drugs involved, sex, and they, you know, it could lead you to make decisions that perhaps you would not be making if you were feeling better. But because you want to feel better, because you want to stabilize, you think that doing some of these things makes you feel better and it may short term, but it often leads to be just like a big disruptor in life. And it happens with, you know, in parenting, maybe a parent will be anxious or be all frazzled and then they'll snap at their kid. Perhaps physical violence will occur. Perhaps emotional violence will occur. A lot of trauma comes out of that. It happens in marriages with uh, cheating. It happens at work where you get fired or you're not satisfied at your job or you have difficulty, you know, meeting your obligations, your goals. And the baseline of it is a lot of times due to something that's going on with you. Yet people tend to blame other people. It's my boss. It's my kid. It's my spouse. And I have to tell you that none of us live in a vacuum. It's all connected. And it's your personal responsibility to take a look at how it's affecting you and your entire system, your world. So I think that you have to always be asking yourself, you know, some key questions like, is this thought serving my highest and best good? Is this behavior going to help me or hurt me? What is it that I'm actually thinking? What is it that I'm actually feeling? Is this fear or is it anxiety? Anxiety is usually future tensed. Fear happens when there's a real threat. Yeah, people are afraid of stuff all the time. And it's usually because of anxiety, you know, sometimes just because you're really good at work and you're making a lot of money, or if you're a really good student and you're getting straight A's, people think that you don't have these problems, but you do. And that's when you start compensating and it's kind of like all being buried under the, under the rug and you go through life, but at the end you're not fulfilled. You're not happy. 
And that's why I'm encouraging you to kind of dig a little bit deeper and see what is it that you're struggling with and start making different decisions. And all it takes is one decision, the decision to explore the decision just to be real and honest and say, Hey, listen, this is not good or bad. It's just what it is. And I have some power to do something about it. And I'm going to exercise my power. And it starts by talking to somebody that actually knows about this stuff and letting them help you and figure out what really is going on. So again, I'm going to encourage you to get vulnerable with yourself, maybe put yourself out there talk to somebody. And I promise you things can get better. None of this has to stay the way it is. If you think that your spouse, your child, someone you deeply love, care about is struggling, nudge them to get help. All right, my friends, I'm going to follow up this episode with other episodes, because I really can say a lot about this. I feel I can help a lot of you people out there. Uh, You have any questions, contact me, write into me, I will answer them. But in the meantime, think well and be well. I'll catch you soon. One more thing. Thanks for listening to my Perfectly Imperfect show. Keep in mind that I'm sharing thoughts and experiences And the information on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health or medical professional. If you have a moment to leave a rating or a review, that would be great. It's a way of sharing so that more people can find the show and start making some small shifts.